welcome to Escape Routes with Condenas Traveler. My name is Divya Sani, Global Editorial Director of Condenas Traveler, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condenas Traveler we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. We've come together to take you to some of our favorite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners, or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. This podcast is sponsored by Mastercard, which is committed to restoring 100 million trees by 2025 with the Priceless Planet Coalition and its 18 restoration projects across the globe. Mastercard is also dedicated to helping its cardholders explore the world with complete confidence, backed by the Mastercard hotel stay and lowest hotel rate guarantees. travel.mastercard.com. Hello, my name is Alex Postman. Welcome to Condé Nast Travelers Escape Routes. I will be reading my piece on rewilding Argentina, which was featured in the October 2022 issue of Condé Nast Traveler. I hope you enjoy it. An hour before sunset, the Ibera wetlands wrestle to life as if cued by a conductor. Capybaras, the region's large anvil-headed rodents, snuffle through the grass. Raucous lapwings crisscross the sky, and three tawny, web-footed marsh deer wade along the edge of the swamp. Only two decades earlier, it had been a lifeless cattle watering hole. As I amble by on horseback, our guide Mingo Gonzalez names a few of Ibera's 370 bird species along the path. Tiger heron, bear-faced ibis, strange-tailed tyrant. He admits he wasn't all that well-versed in wildlife as a gaucho who grew up in the nearby village of Colonia Carlos Pellegrini. Back then, nature wasn't so much revered as ignored or feared. Previous generations used to hunt jaguars to protect their cattle, selling the skins to fur traders. Although the big cat symbolized strength among the indigenous Guarani of Corrientes province, the last one was seen here in the 1950s. We dismount in a savanna where we find that the staff at our lodge, the Rincon del Socorro, have set a table with bottles of Argentine Malbec and a platter of local meats and cheeses. With the cracked yolk of the sun trickling behind a skeletal acacia tree, you could swear you were on safari in Africa. It is a resemblance that may be more than a wide-field illusion, given the Pangaea theory that South America and Africa once formed a supercontinent that broke apart more than 200 million years ago. From the small plane we flew in on from Posadas, we watched the landscape tip over from cattle ranches to a flat mosaic of floating grass islands. It looks strikingly like Botswana's Okavango Delta, though at 1.8 million acres, the Ibera wetlands are only about half that size. As it happens, Africa has inspired the most wide-reaching conservation effort ever in Argentina, a country notorious for the ravages of its beef industry. This has led to the restoration of massive swaths of land into flourishing biodiverse ecosystems sustained by income generated by tourism. This model, new wildernesses secured with the creation of local jobs and ecotourism, is being adapted in South America on a huge scale by the foundations Rewilding Argentina and Rewilding Chile. heirs to the legacy of Tompkins conservation. Starting in the 1990s, American husband and wife activists Doug and Chris Tompkins, 
a co-founder of the North Face and Patagonia's former CEO, respectively, started buying up strategic tracts of land to protect across the two countries. The NGOs spun off in 2015 after Doug was killed in a kayaking accident. Between them, the two organizations are responsible for 15 million protected acres, which are now being donated in stages to the public as national parks. Meanwhile, the foundations are putting lodges and visitor centers in place, training rangers and guides, and stabilizing keystone species. Here in Argentina, where nature tourism is still in its infancy, Rewilding's long-term vision is to create a circuit of parks from the Amazon-like El Impenetrable and Ibera wetlands in the far north, where I've started my trip, to high plateau Parque Patagonia, more than 1,000 miles south, where I'll head in a few days' time. Argentina is where Africa was 30 years ago, says Les Carlyle, the former head of conservation for the African ecotourism company and beyond. We sip wine as the Southern Cross pricks through a darkening dome. And he should know, with his striking white beard and Popeye arms, Les is a pioneer of wildlife translocations, having moved 30 white rhinos, 21 of them at once, a record at the time, to Anbion's Pinda Reserve in South Africa three decades ago. He had last visited Ibera in 2017 when he helped rewilding Argentina present its plan for reintroducing jaguars to wary local officials. He remarks frequently on the explosion of wildlife since his last visit. He says he spent five hours tracking a white-collared peccary, one of eight locally extinct species that have been reintroduced alongside the giant anteater, macaw, and jaguar. They are writing the textbook on rewilding in South America. It's cutting edge, Les says excitedly. Argentina could become the world's next big conservation destination. The next morning, we take off from the dirt airstrip at Rincón del Socorro, a former cattle ranch that the Tompkinses converted into a home in the early 2000s. It is now a charming hacienda-style lodge with bungalows surrounding an emerald lawn where troops of high-stepping rias, a small South American ostrich, and capybaras range. On the short flight to San Alonso Island, the site of Rewilding's Jaguar Research Center, we fly over miles of tangled vegetal tufts, so unmoored that strong storms can rearrange them in a single blow. But we also spot countless smoldering black patches left by a wildfire that had raged through the region only 10 days earlier. We are met on San Alonso by Sofia Heinenen, rewilding Argentina's executive director and a team of researchers who helm the station in another former Tompkins home. They pass around a gourd of mate, sipping through a metal straw. Pablo Guerra, the jaguar biologist, explains the feline family tree. In January 2021, Mariwa, a jaguar who had been brought from Brazil, and her two cubs walked to their freedom, the first wild jaguars in Corrientes in 70 years. Now, a total of eight jaguars form an anchor population, many tracked with electronic collars. These predators will help keep the herbivores in check, slowing soil erosion and allowing vegetation to rebound. We set out under a scorching blue sky on horseback behind Pablo, who waves a telemeter to catch the ping of a GPS collar. As we snake through the high grass, Sophia, whose laugh-creased face belies her reputation as a fierce foe of mining and oil companies, points with her riding crop to the horizon. She describes the night two weeks earlier when the fire raged within two and a half miles of San Alonso Station. Her team rushed to dig a trench to head it off as the Bolivian military zoomed in by helicopter until last minute rains spared the property. In spite of the harrowing event, the jaguars barely moved. Today though, the only sign of them is the ravaged carcass of a capybara and beside it, perhaps a few faint paw prints. Back at the stables, a small figure in a checked shirt and floppy hat jumps down from the post and beam fence. 
Chris Tompkins has come to San Alonso to see what the fire has wrought, the first time she's left her home in California for Ibera in two years. Over lunch behind the house, still decorated with photos of her and Doug, she reminisces about their arrival in 1997. Doug saw a huge space, but an empty space, she says. It took us a while to understand what was here and what was missing, but he knew almost instinctively that it was a biological gold mine. When the accident on a lake straddling Chilean and Argentine Patagonia claimed Doug's life, Chris says, she contemplated giving up their shared mission, another empty space. It wasn't a loss, it was an amputation. When he died, I went mad. I would go on long walks, prepared to disappear, she says. Friends whisked her away to India for a few weeks, and eventually she found there was something freeing in the worst thing that could happen to you, and you're still breathing. It changed my intensity, having nothing to lose, she says. She accelerated the donation process, reaching an agreement with the Chilean state in 2018 for the largest land grant in history, a million acres, to leverage the protection of an area 10 times larger. After lunch, we visit a pen where a family of slick, carob-colored giant otters, including a mating pair brought in from Hungary and Denmark, shriek and mash down whole fish tossed in by a researcher. Aquatic predators that went extinct here in the last century, they will soon be released into the lagoon, where an overabundance of prey has thrown off the ecological balance. We walk the perimeter of a huge fenced enclosure where a female jaguar named Mbarate awaits her transfer to El Impenetrable to mate. Pablo points to the three almond-shaped pads of a paw print outside the entrance where one of the free jaguars has returned to sniff out its former digs. The 7th of January of last year, when the mother with the cubs walked out, was one of the best days of my life, Chris says, kneeling to snap a picture of the print. I thought, I could die happy tomorrow. Though there was opposition at first, the province now embraces its jaguars with pride, having adopted the slogan, Corrientes has become Corrientes again. The turnaround reflects the foundation's success in creating a vibrant economy based on regeneration. Locals who once hunted or ranched now work as park rangers, or staff Parque Ibera's shiny new interpretation center, or they guide boat tours of the lake shore of Colonia Carlos Pellegrini, showing visitors a peaceful menagerie of sunbathing caiman and swooping kingfishers. That night, at Rincon del Socorro, before an asado barbecue dinner of mastodon-sized ribs and juicy steaks, we sit around a bonfire as a local trio sings chamame folk songs. In the past, we used to have to move to the cities to work, the accordion player says between songs. Now, with tourism, we can stay. If handled properly, tourism will one day draw a stream of adventurers along a northern circuit. They might enter at iconic Iguazu Falls on the Brazilian border, drive to the new El Impenetrable Park, our little Amazon, according to Sofia, where rewilding is building a lodge, and then onto the wetlands of Ibera. Down south in Patagonia, the foundation is working on something else entirely, a transfrontier megapark running from sea to sea, a culmination of the Tompkins' vision. Patagonia, a vast and arid emptiness that surprises the horn of Argentina and Chile, feels eerily primordial. The steppe of Santa Cruz province in Upper Patagonia was formed by glaciers pushing down from the Andes, leaving a trail of valleys carpeted in basalt rubble and coron, the sharp-leaved grass tufts that can withstand the wind and drought. A clue as to what drew rewilding Argentina here is nestled into one side of a small pleated canyon. Here, massive wrinkled lobes of rock drip with iridescent colors, 
vermilion, copper, saffron, and even lilac and bottle green. The dazzling ombre of the Tierra de Colores is the result of mineral deposits and the oxygenation of the iron in the stone. Today, the sorbet-hued backdrop draws curious hikers, though at one time it was a beacon to nomadic hunter-gatherers who would follow the migration of the llama-like guanaco for its skins and meat, then retreat to nearby caves for the cold winter months. Their journey is recorded in cave paintings, some upward of 9,000 years old, on recessed cliff walls known as the Cueva de las Manos, Cave of Hands. On the walls are more than 2,000 high fives of ochre, red, purple, and white, prints large and small, stenciled by blowing mineral paint through a hollow bird or guanaco bone straw. In caves farther along the ledge, designs dating from the same time are fancifully abstract, a constellation of circles and zigzags, while more recent paintings turn figurative. The newest, at only a few thousand years old, is a stick figure known as the Dancer. The Tompkinses were in Chile first, but were called across the border in 2012 by the endangered duck-like hooded grebe, whose habitat was threatened by invasive species and mining projects. Rewilding Argentina acquired the ranch La Asuncion and joined it with public lands around the Buenos Aires Lake Basin, which became part of Parque Patagonia, a region that contains a glacier which preserves the watersheds of the Pinturas River Basin. The land around Pinturas Canyon was also sniffed out by mining interests. Rewilding Argentina snapped up that ranch and four others, creating a corridor between the national park and the heritage site. The Cave of Hands offers a helpful record of animals that once ran wild on the steppe, including the dainty-legged huemul, which vanished from Santa Cruz province long ago. The last herds migrated west to the forest of El Chalten near Chile, where they are the most endangered of all South American deer. The rewilding team will eventually move a breeding population here to join the ranks of guanaco, choique, pichi, a small armadillo, gray foxes, and pumas, who also managed to survive on these inhospitable mesas. Like the jaguar, the puma is considered the architect of the ecosystem. Like the jaguar, the puma is considered the architect of the ecosystem. Like the jaguar, the puma is considered the architect of the ecosystem. A team of biologists monitors several members of the native population here with GPS collars to learn what conditions they need to thrive. Attempting to seek them out with Rewilding's photographic researcher, Franco Bucci, we hike to a wide canyon overlooking the Rio Ecker, where pumas like to lurk. In the canyon below, a condor hangs motionless on the current, and two orange vizcachas, rust-colored chinchilla-like rodents, peep out from behind boulders. But there is never a ping. Perhaps its signal is lost to the wind. Back at La Posta de los Toldos, the Spartan but friendly inn that's the park's lone lodge, a few rewilding employees and Argentine hikers and puma trekkers from Buenos Aires huddle in a stone-walled room over bowls of steaming lamb guisado and red wine as the wind rattles the roof, debating the future of this far-flung corner of the earth. There are plans for 60 miles of trails and a host of new visitor infrastructure, like a welcome center, two campsites, a planetarium, and a kids' educational facility. There will be training programs for guides and rangers and jobs for cooks and auto mechanics in Perito Moreno. Then, too, there is all the work in the coming years to connect Parque Patagonia with its eponymous sister in Chile, 
home to the well-touristed hub of Valle Chacabuco and its jagged, snow-capped peaks. This would create a bi-national conservation corridor and ecotourism circuit extending at least 350 miles, reaching from the Atlantic to the Pacific and beyond. The foundation is also creating Patagonia Azul, a blue route about eight hours northeast of here that will incorporate 125 miles of coastline and more than 60 islands harboring a sea lion colony and passing pods of killer whales and dolphins. You have to look at the negative space and figure out what is missing, Chris Tompkins had said that day in Ibera. Conservation surely takes imagination. It also takes time and fearlessness and maybe, too, a sense that there's nothing left to lose, except, of course, everything. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Street podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us on the charts and ensure that you're the first to hear about our new episodes.